This is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. I'm Biddy Martin, president of Amherst College. In this episode, Christine Crosdale, class of 2017, describes how studying the liberal arts forced her outside of her comfort zone and how the intellectual and personal growth that resulted from her studies helped her hold the college accountable for change. Here's Christine. Hi, my name is Christine Ayana Crosdale. I am a proud member of Amherst College's class of 2017. I am now in Maryland where I am attending the Howard University School of Law. I am a JD MBA candidate here at Howard. Prior to coming to Howard, I worked at Viacom CBS as a brand strategist for a year and a half during their merger. Before that, I worked in the nonprofit area at an organization called Prep for Prep, which I give a lot of credit to how I even got to Amherst in the first place. This upcoming year will actually be my fifth year college reunion, which is, which is incredible to me. It's, it's very surreal that time has flown. I'm Jeffrey Wright, Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. As an Amherst student, Christine Ayana Crosdale assumed a pivotal role in the history of activism at the college, a role informed in part by her experience growing up in an immigrant family. I didn't really think of where I wanted to go to college as a student of immigrant background. You know, they always think of, you know, you need to be a lawyer, doctor, teacher, engineer. You know, if you're an intelligent student, then you should probably go to an Ivy. So to be honest, you know, Amherst wasn't really on my radar. I was thinking Ivies, but ultimately I wanted to go to a school that made me happy. Prior to Amherst, Christine attended Poly Prep, an independent school in Brooklyn, New York. Bud Cox, Amherst class of 1975 and head of the upper school at Poly Prep, greatly influenced Christine. Bud Cox, William R. Cox, a brilliant man, very, very smart, very intelligent, a great value add to our school, just a wonderful person of integrity, truly somebody that you would look up to in a role of being the head of the upper school. And he was a proud Amherst alum. In my senior year, I went to Amherst's diversity open house in the fall. I appreciated my time there. It reminded me a lot of Polly because of how small the school was. And so when I came back home and went through my acceptances, as well as my financial aid options, Amherst became actually the top of my list. And knowing that my head of upper school was a proud alum of there and how he carried himself and how successful he was, it felt amazing to know that I would be carrying on that legacy as a poly student. Christine arrived on campus as a first year student in the fall of 2013. I remember driving up to campus. I had a lot of people with me. It was my mom, three of my aunts, and one of my cousins. So I come from a family of a lot of women, um, strong women. So we're rolling up to campus and my mom is looking at it for the first time because she had never seen the campus. She's like, oh my God, this reminds me of the boarding schools and, and the, the University of the West Indies. It's so big, there's so much grass, there's, there's just so much. I remember seeing the long lines of students waiting for their keys, all the families hustling and bustling across campus. I remember going to BSU and 
you know, feeling out the vibes there and just trying to understand where I was going to take roots. I remember it was like very buzzing. People wanted to go out at night, meet upperclassmen. You know, people wanted to walk campus together. I remember going to the financial aid meeting. The liveliness of orientation week passed and Christine found herself having to adjust to life on campus. I remember the first couple of weeks being hard for me. I think I spent so much time at home, but then also at Poly. But I was actually calling staff members at Poly crying because I didn't know if I can do it. I felt very isolated at moments. Most of the orientation activities, I will be honest, after a while, being the only Black woman in my group, I just was kind of over it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to this or going to that just because I wanted to, you know, meet people that looked like me and probably had similar experiences to me. But overall, I think my first couple of days and weeks at AMS, I wouldn't say they were the easiest. Definitely the transition was a bit of a learning curve. It, having it be the first time I was living away from home for a long time. My mom and my family is from Jamaica. Well, I think I automatically came in with a particular work ethic that I think some people were in awe of, quite frankly. As a, a person of an immigrant background, I think I took my schooling very seriously. I knew I liked most of my classes. I definitely loved my Black Studies classes. Spanish came pretty easy. I know I took my first year seminar and then I took philosophy. And I think the intro to philosophy class was probably the hardest one out of the four that I took. So I ended up double majoring in Black Studies and Spanish and just rode that wave. I think I was definitely, as an immigrant, like just trying to be well-rounded on campus. So joining the BSU, the Black Students' Union, ACSU, ACSU, which is the African and Caribbean Students' Union, those two places definitely felt like home. I also knew that I wanted to try out for DeSac, which is dance and step at Amherst College. As an immigrant family, as people from the Caribbean, we love to dance. We love to, you know, be a part of groups that remind us of our culture. And that was another place that, you know, was very formative for me. And then I, as an immigrant on campus, I worked a lot. I worked a couple of jobs on campus. Um, I worked in the science library. I worked as a research assistant to Professor Cobham Sander. I worked as security at a lot of the parties. People knew me as Christine during the day in classes, and then they knew me as Christine, the security at, you know, the Amherst College sponsored events, or even at, you know, BSU events or AXU events where we had parties that were open to the five colleges. So I, I, I wore a lot of different hats at school. Some of Christine's work, including her job as a research assistant to Professor Rhonda Cobham Sander, came about because of the strong relationships she built with her professors. My Black Studies professors, definitely Professor Cobham Sander is at the top of the list, as well as Professor Drabinsky. He taught my Panther Theory class, which was probably arguably one of my favorite classes at Amherst to take. I loved reading about the Black Panthers and just hearing their stories and the way he, he taught our class was very much like a reading club almost. While the academics were enriching, Christine came to believe that her identity as a person of color, particularly a Black woman, 
played a substantial role in her experience at the college. As I got to Amherst, I became more aware of what it meant to be not only a Black person, but a Black woman at a school like Amherst. So I, I think it, it definitely wasn't my first time being aware of being in spaces like that, but it was the first time that that part of my identity was ever so apparent. At the time, we were coming towards the end of Obama's presidency. We were also experiencing, you know, a lot of what we now know as the, the say his name and the say her name and the Black Lives Matter movement started up while I was, you know, in college. A lot of that definitely magnified that. In 2015, students of color at the University of Missouri, Yale, and other institutions organized to protest. These protests sparked a reckoning with institutional racism on campuses around the country, one which President Obama commented on. Uh, I've, I've read enough to know that there is clearly a problem at uh, the University of Missouri. And I think it is entirely appropriate for students in a thoughtful, peaceful way to protest uh, what they see as injustices or inattention to uh, serious problems uh, uh, in, in their midst. These protest movements and the growing awareness of how race impacted their academic experience served as a catalyst for students at Amherst to voice their pain and frustration. In November of 2015, students planned a sit-in at Frost Library. Three young women from the class below me, the class of 2018, wanted to hold a sit-in in solidarity with, you know, the Black students at Mizzou and Yale, who had been experiencing very racialized and racially charged incidents. And so they wanted to sit in and wear all Black in the library just to show solidarity any a given day. It was a random day. And so I wanted to support them because one of them was actually my first-gen mentee. And I had known the other two women on campus. I didn't really know that it was going to become the Amherst Uprising. You know, there was a simple question that I had asked that basically developed into what we now know as the Amherst Uprising. Because they started opening up the floor for people to talk. I actually said, I just said, let's not sit here and stand here and act like the things that happen at Yale and Mizzou don't also happen here at Amherst, which then opened up the floor to other students that I knew in front of alum, faculty, staff, just sharing, you know, sometimes traumatic experiences that they've had on campus where they felt like being a student of color actually disadvantaged them and may cause them to feel unsafe, cause them to feel undervalued. The students wanted to ensure that their testimonies were heard, and they said so to Provost and Dean of the Faculty, Katherine Epstein. We said we need to speak to Biddy. Why is Biddy not in the library? And Ms. Epstein said, oh, Biddy is on college business. She's on our way to our brother-sister school, the Doshisha School. And my friend, Amir, Paul said, this is college business. And I think that that was very formative to me because it, it helped me, even to, to this day, I still remember where they stood when that happened. I merely wanted to hear other students' experiences 
so that we could at, at the very least, if we have the administration and faculty in one space and they hear all these isolated incidents and isolated reports from students and they do nothing about what we say because we each come on an individual basis randomly throughout any given week to complain about something, now you're going to hear us because we're all in the library and more and more people started coming once they saw that, you know, students weren't going to class. It wasn't just going to be a 20 minute sit in like it was an all day, all night type of situation. Now is the time to get everybody not only to listen to what we say, but then ask them, like, what are you going to do about it? A group of students went upstairs, leaders of different organizations, athletics teams on campus came upstairs and we wrote like what ended up being called the the list of demands and presented those to, to Biddy and the rest of the administration. And then we started saying like, what are we going to do? Like, what are we asking of the, the, the school? Now is the time. The week-long occupation of Frost Library became known as Amherst Uprising. Outlets, including The Atlantic and The New York Times, ran pieces analyzing the sit-in. The response in the Amherst community was complicated and, at points, tense. Amidst all this, Christine found herself on the verge of her senior year. Literally, I think it was maybe three or four weeks after Amherst Uprising was winter break. And that really helped me reflect on what I wanted my last year at Amherst to look like. And I wanted it to be one where I focused on myself. I think I did a lot of focusing on groups and others and identity. And that last year, I truly wanted to just focus on me. Christine realized she had been carrying a weight. In advocating for herself and her peers, she had taken on an immense responsibility something from which her white peers were, and still are, largely exempt. In calling out institutional racism, she'd sacrificed her own time and energy. Amherst Uprising helps me know truly what, what my strengths are, which is amplifying my own voice by amplifying the voice of others, being able to support others, being able to counsel others on issues that they may have and how they should go about fixing things, which is probably what led me to go down the route of going to law school. It also affirmed to me that my identity is not everything about me, but is important to me. It helped me to know when the end of the fight is. You don't always need to be in fight mode. You can relax and rest assured that you don't need to always feel like you are in a perpetual state of fighting against others because you are feeling like you are the other. And this leads to an idea that Christine wants to emphasize. Amherst Uprising is like, it's formative to my experience, but it was, it was a moment in time. Christine is wary of her educational experience or her relationship to her alma mater being wholly defined by Amherst Uprising. The times of reflection reminded her to focus on herself and the joyful moments on campus, including living in the Charles Drew Memorial Cultural House, a residence hall themed around Black culture. Living in Drew House was always a great time. Somebody was always cooking something. Somebody was always playing loud music. Somebody was always playing games. There was this one time I had a really great conversation with a couple of people about what is happiness on the first floor of Drew. It was myself, 
Kristen Washington, Amir Hall, Muhammad Ibrahim. I think there was probably one other person, but we talked about happiness and if it's a moment, if it's a feeling, and just having those intimate relationships and conversations with people that had nothing to do with classwork, just to just to get to know people on an intimate level. While on campus, my radio show, that was like my pride and joy on Saturdays from two to four, or sometimes we'd be from 12 to two and just vibing out with my best friend. We'd have our friends come into the radio station sometimes and do guest features with us. Being able to bring Angela Yee and Cardi B to campus and interviewing them was amazing. Christine graduated from Amherst in the class of 2017. I knew that law school was something that I wanted to do. Just didn't know if I was really cut or built for it. However, you know, I ended up getting into schools, but wound up not going immediately after because I was so sick physically and just mentally just needed to take a rest from academia and being a student. Christine took a job at her alma mater, Poly Prep, as a post-placement counselor, and then another job at Viacom CBS in brand strategy. My time as a counselor helped me with mediation strategies and affirming my experience, but also healing from what it meant to be a Black woman in predominantly white spaces and helping students of color as they navigated into those spaces for the first time. And Amherst really taught me that, like, you have transferable skills that can work anywhere. So ultimately, when it came down to it, I was basically running my radio show and then podcast as a business. And so coming together to decide to do a dual joint degree, a JD MBA, and then going from not having Howard on my list when I first applied to law school, and then having Howard's law school and business school on my list and getting into both of them with scholarships, just affirm that work your hardest and you'll end up exactly where you need to be. The most important lesson I learned from Amherst is something that I'm still learning, which is to go outside your comfort zone. I feel like as much as I wanted to find places that felt like home, I also needed to do things that I'd never done before. The other lesson she took to heart was, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I feel like that sounds very cliche, but my professors oftentimes knew when I was down and out and needed someone to talk to and would email me or would try to hold me after class to talk to me and make sure I was okay. And I would try to put on that like, oh, I'm this this strong, independent person who doesn't need to speak to others. But asking for help on that campus is probably something that people should do a lot more often because the resources are overflowing at times and you just need to, to make the ask and know who to ask for that assistance and guidance. Just know that Amherst sometimes feels like a bubble. It is representative of the country and of the world, but it is not the definitive representation. You will be okay um, as you transition out of your time there. You should find the things that feel like home and enjoy your time there for what it's worth. Find the major that you love, find the professors that you love and continuously take classes with them. Find those extracurriculars that have nothing to do with school that you love in the, in the Amherst area. You know, go climb a mountain, go sit in some grass, enjoy your time being at Amherst because once you become an adult, you tend to look back and 
and think about the could what could have what you could have done and you realize that you know your unique experience does actually impact how you you look at things once you immediately leave as an alum who is now going into her fifth year post Amherst you know i am appreciative for how i went about my Amherst college experience i don't think there's necessarily anything i would probably change i appreciated everything that i did and you want to be able to say the same because you spend 4 years of your life you know touting that you bleed purple and white and how does that how does that transform into you know the person that you are after you graduate after you walk across that stage will definitely be impactful christine also has a message for today's students of color i would also say particularly to students of color that your alum of color are here for you that we we see you we we know how difficult things may feel initially but hold on to each other build a family with one another that's something that i still stay in touch with a lot of my amherst college friends uh we we plan trips with each other we we spend time with one another we go out with one another we stay in contact and she has a vision for tomorrow students too not just in these bicentennial days but as far into the future as amherst quadricentennial it would be my hope and dream that every student that goes into amherst and then graduates from amherst leaves as a whole human being feels happy that we can retain amazing faculty and staff that truly care about students and truly care about their respective fields in a way that affirms the fact that Amherst is one of the best places to receive your higher education. I would want it to feel like a safe place for everybody. Um that people wouldn't feel unsafe on campus, that people would feel like they have people to go to, resources to attain and take advantage of. I would want the next 200 years to seem like we don't necessarily need to have this diversity conversation all the time because the school gets it right and that ultimately it feels like it's a place where people come to not just complete 4 years of school and get a piece of paper called a degree but to truly thrive and to come into their own as people who will bring light to the world and make the world a better place and change things within their respective fields and careers and communities that affirms why Amherst is such an amazing place to go to in the first place. Definitely the Christine that walks onto campus that first week is not the Christine that ended up graduating from Amherst. If I could choose another college to go to, I wouldn't. I would go to Amherst College over and over again. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeffrey Wright, Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. A production of Amherst College in association with Cadence 13, narrated by me, Jeffrey Wright. Executive produced by Biddy Martin, Ian Mont, and Rebecca Kennedy. Produced by Catherine Duke, Beth Schumacher, and Sandy Janelius. Written, directed, edited, and mastered by Ian Mont. 
Technical and Equipment Support by Sean Cherry. Creative Consultation by Catherine Duke, Carly Nardowitz, Connolly Stokes-Buckles, and Molly Whalen. Music from Source Audio and Extreme Music. Mm-hmm.